Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favourite authors. Keep listening to find out why you need to find the right little bits of information to make good decisions and the dark side of blinking. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back. This is episode 39, almost at the big 4-0. How very exciting, which means we're almost at one year of episodes. Even more exciting. I've got a few things planned for January when it comes to the first birthday, so keep listening and keep an eye on my social media pages, mainly on LinkedIn and Instagram to find out what is planned. If you're listening to this live, this will be going live the week I get back from Boston where I'm going to do the Immunity to Change course with Drs. Lisa Leahy and Robert Keegan. Very excited to share more about that on the podcast because there is a book that goes with it, but also on, again, on social media. So keep listening and keep an eye out to see more about that because I think that will interest a lot of you. It's all about how we don't easily make changes as humans, even when our lives depend on it and what we need to overcome and how we can overcome some of those things to make better, more consistent changes in our life and hopefully more positive ones. Before we find out a little bit more about the book Blink and the author Malcolm Gladwell, quick note to say that this episode is sponsored by me, Steph Clark, and my facilitation and team coaching business. Without further ado, here is a little bit more about the author. Now, if you aren't aware of Malcolm Gladwell's stuff and you do enjoy this episode I also talked about his book Outliers which is the one with the 10,000 hour rule as you may have heard of before that was episode 23 I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go back and listen to that one if you haven't listened to it already Malcolm Gladwell is the author of five New York Times bestsellers The Tipping Point, Blink, Outliers, What the Dog Saw and David and Goliath He also has a brand new book coming out imminently called Talking to Strangers which I'm very excited about getting my hands on He is also the co-founder of Pushkin Industries, an audio content company that produces the podcast Revisionist History, which reconsiders things both overlooked and misunderstood, and Broken Record, where he, Rick Rubin, and Bruce Headlam interview musicians across a wide range of genres. Gladwell has been included in the Time 100 Most Influential People list and touted as one of foreign policy's top global thinkers. That was taken from Malcolm Gladwell's website, Gladwell Books, link in the show notes also put a link in the show notes to revisionist history it's one of my favorite podcasts i definitely recommend you listen to it and i just love malcolm's style and the way he tells stories it's really aspirational blink is a book about how we think without thinking about choices that seem to be made in an instant in the blink of an eye even that actually aren't as simple as they seem why are some people brilliant decision makers why others are consistently inept why do some people follow their instincts and win while others end up stumbling into error And how do our brains really work? In the office, in the classroom, in the kitchen, and even in the bedroom. And why are the best decisions often those that are impossible to explain to others? Blink reveals that great decision makers aren't those who process the most information or spend the most time deliberating, but those who have perfected the art of thin slicing, filtering the very few factors that matter from an overwhelming number of variables. Again, taken from Malcolm's website, link in the show notes. I read a quote from Malcolm when I was doing some research for this episode on why he wrote Blink. He said it was to demonstrate that decisions made very quickly can be every bit as good as decisions made cautiously and deliberately, to help decide when we should and shouldn't trust our instincts, and to show that snap judgments and first impressions can be educated and controlled. 
Now that could easily be the three big ideas and we could end the podcast here, but I've also taken a few other ideas away from it. But I really liked that distinction of him saying that this is why I wrote the book and these are the ideas why. And particularly that piece around that snap decisions or seemingly snap decisions can be good decisions. And you'll know that from your life. And I know I certainly have made very quick, quite big decisions, but also then agonized over what to have for dinner. So let's get into the three big ideas on that note from the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Big idea number one is to find the right thin slice of information. And this idea of thin slicing comes up a lot throughout the book. It's really about pattern recognition and finding out what are those really important bits of information that the other stuff can almost be ignored. There's a story in the book about John Gottman who looks at couples and codifies their behavior. So they sit in a room, they get lots of cameras put on them and they just have a conversation. They're usually given a topic to discuss and often it's some kind of bone of contention. He then looks at all that information, codifies their behavior and how they respond to each other to predict the likelihood of their marriage surviving or them ending up getting divorced. He says that now sometimes he'll sit in restaurants and watch or hear a couple next to him having a conversation and sometimes have the urge to lean over and tell them they should start getting divorce lawyers involved and start thinking about how to split their assets, even if they're just deciding what they're going to have to eat tonight. The important point of thin slicing is that whilst you might start with a lot of detail and you might start to look at all of the big picture, you actually can speed that process up by looking just for the important bits. So in John Gottman's work with the couples, for example, he looks for contempt. If there's any sign of contempt, that is a real warning sign. And again, sometimes that's really micro flickers of it in a conversation. He also looks for the positive versus negative ratio in terms of how people are are talking to each other and whether it's some kind of positive affirmation or a negative one. He looks for a ratio of five positive to one negative. And again, if that pattern of that ratio is out, that is also a very thin slice, but also a very reliable tracker, depending on, on how that marriage may turn out. There was another experiment done by another group, not John Gottman, around finding out if strangers could be have an accurate or as accurate a idea of what someone's personality was like as someone's good friend would do just from looking at their dorm room in a college campus. So this is pretty cool. So they sent some sent a group of strangers to someone's dorm room, got to see how it was laid out, what books they had, if it was a mess, it was tidy, what kind of things they had around and gave the strangers a personality assessment for that person. And it was surprising that by looking at something like a dorm room, which is very personal, there's a lot of personal artifacts in there, they achieved a very accurate assessment of that person's personality when compared to someone's best friends or someone's good friends who'd known them for a long time and had a thick slice of information. So this was another great example of taking the right bit of information to make an assessment on. Other example that I really liked in the book, because I think it's really relevant for some of the work I do and and just something that interests me, is tone of voice. So there was an experiment done around the predictability of doctors being sued. And so what they started doing was recording the conversations that patients would have with the doctor. They took out all the language and they codified that and again did some machine learning to work out what the tone of voice was from the doctor to the patient. And by just doing that, they could assess whether that doctor was likely to be sued or not. And again, it was incredibly accurate based on just the tone of voice. In that story, in that example, they they spoke to an attorney who works a lot with medical malpractice suits. And they were saying that they, they hear this and they see the outcome of that because they'll have a case 
and they might look at the facts and say to the patient, well, look, actually, I don't think it's the surgeon you should be suing. I think it was your general practitioner, for example, who overlooked or didn't see something or didn't interpret the results correctly. And the person will say, oh, no, no, I really like my practitioner. She always gives me really good advice or she really has makes time for me and talks to me well. But the surgeon, they, they were awful. They didn't give me any time. So even though the facts and the, the data suggest that it was someone else that was to blame, someone's experience of someone will drive their action, even in extreme cases as medical malpractice and who you're going to sue. And like I said, that could be predicted incredibly closely just based on the tone of voice that doctors used with their patients. So that was big idea number one, finding the right thin slicing of information. Big idea number two is the dark side of blinking. Because of course there is a risk. If we pick the wrong piece of information to thin slice, we would end up making quite horrible decisions. And there was a good example in the book of Warren Harding, who a couple of hundred years ago was the American president and everyone decided he looked like a great president. That's why he ended up getting put forward. He was tall, he was strong, he was good looking. But historians decided he was one of the worst presidents that America has ever had. But a lot of his success came down to, or perceived success initially in terms of getting put forward and and getting elected, was because of the way he looked. He looked like a good president. Now, you may have heard some of the data before, and I can never get over this. It's it's fascinating. But the average population in the US, 3.9% of men are over six foot two. However, in the top 500 CEOs, it's almost a third. Almost 33% of those top 500 CEOs are over six foot two, which is phenomenal when you think about the potential bias that has gone into some of those decisions. There's a quote actually in, in Malcolm's book where he says, mediocre people find their way into positions of authority because when it comes to even the most important positions, our selection decisions are a good deal less rational than we think. We think someone looks good for the job. That quote, by the way, along with a few other good ones, is in the show notes. And they're both tweetable, so you can tweet them out if you like the quote. But also you can save the images and share them on social media as well if you like some of those quotes. There's some good ones in there this week. In those top 500 CEOs, only 10 are under 5 foot 6. Which again is really interesting statistically, given that more than that percentage of men are under 5 foot 6 in the general population. They've done studies that show that one inch of height is worth about 789 per year in salary. This is also relevant to salespeople and the assumptions about your customers. So again, there was a study in Chicago looking at car sales and they sent equally dressed, equally educated, equal aged people off to buy a car. What they found was that the the initial quote that the people were given, the white men were given a $725 initial price above the list price. White women were given $935 over the original list price that they were being ripped off by an extra couple of hundred dollars. Black women were given the initial quote $1,195 on average above the list price, whereas black men were given $1,687 above the initial list price. So the initial price given to a black guy walking into that car showroom was double, over double in fact, what white men were offered. And it just shows that some of those assumptions can be a really dangerous thing. There's an implicit association test. So if you are sitting there listening to this and thinking those car salespeople were terrible humans, how could they be so racist and sexist? There's an implicit association test which has been developed by Harvard, which you can jump online and do, and you can test yourself. Big idea number two is that there is a dark side of blinking. Big idea number three, which really pulls all this together, is listen with your ears, not your eyes. And links very closely to 
big idea number two, but it's really how to offset that. So in the past, classical orchestras were very sexist places. They figured you could only play those instruments if you were male and white, basically. Now, after some time, there was petition to make auditions and the audition process much fairer. So, for example, putting screens up so that the people making the decisions couldn't see the performer and people were given numbers rather than names. As a result of that, in the last 30 years, since the screens became commonplace, women taking part in US orchestras increased fivefold. Which goes to show that when people listen with their ears, not with their eyes, there is no difference and they are bringing people in who are right for the job, who play their instruments beautifully and are a good fit for the orchestra. So my question here to you would be, what are you doing that's biased? How can you listen with your ears and not with your eyes? And the use of technology is a really powerful way of doing this. For example, and I know in, in that is starting to be used in some ways in screening applications for particularly for jobs and particularly where you've got large groups of jobs and applicants coming through. So for example, graduate hires. But what else are you doing? What else are you taking part in, be it with your customers, with your team, with your family, with your organization, out in society, in your sports team, whatever it is. What are you doing? Where are you thin slicing the wrong information? What assumptions are you holding on to that maybe helping you make really bad decisions. And maybe you don't know, the problem with these things is sometimes that's unconscious bias. We don't know we're doing it. But thinking about this, doing the implicit association test, finding out where your biases might hide, and then thinking about how you can control for those. Maybe someone else that you can get involved who may have a different perspective. Maybe things where you can put almost the screen up like they do in the orchestra which might be looking at CVs, which are have been edited. So I know and some organizations are doing this already, looking at blind CVs. So looking at CVs that don't give away where the person's from, what their name is, therefore what they, what gender they may be, or what ethnic origin, for example. It's an interesting one when it comes to AI and machine learning too, because whilst that has the ability to remove a lot of this bias and the judgment, because it will judge quite clinically, if we're teaching it the wrong things, if we're teaching it that good is this and bad is that, then that's what it will learn. So we have to be careful about how we're using tech to make us better rather than repeating our mistakes. So that's big idea number three, listen with your ears, not your eyes. Quick recap of the three big ideas from the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Big idea number one, find the right thin slice of information. Big idea number two, that there's a dark side of blinking. And big idea number three, listen with your ears, not your eyes. This book was fascinating. I really enjoyed it because it was a bit different. It showed some different case studies. Given the amount of reading I do, I see a lot of this of similar ideas and case studies in quite a few of the books, which is, is good because they're usually interpreted differently. But, you know, it's good to see some new ones and, and find some fun things. It was also about the brain and how the brain works and how our subconscious works, which I find fascinating anyway. And it was a little bit confronting because it makes you wonder and think about yourself. Are you actually a terrible human and make snap decisions and judgments based on people and act accordingly? Which is a bit frightening to think about really. And the impacts of that and what you've missed out and who you've missed out on in your life as a result. If you like this episode, if you want to buy the book, there is a link to my little affiliate site on the book depository in the show notes. If you do want to have a little read yourself, then jump on there to buy your own copy. If you have read this book, I'd love to hear from you. What did you think? you enjoy it did you take away any big life-changing aha moments did you also come away thinking you're a terrible human i'd love to know links again in the show notes to my contact details so you can let me know and we can have a chat about books i love to hear from people who listen to the show but otherwise in the meantime happy reading